0: Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com.
1: Let us sing for the joy of the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God.
2: Good morning. Go ahead and stand to your feet as we worship together this morning here in the house of the Lord. There is joy. Let's worship.
3: To the God who saves, we sing to the God who always makes a Because he hung up on that cross, then he rolled up from the grave, my God still rolled his stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet, we shout out i
2: And then there is joy in God's house today. Thank you for being here this morning. Go ahead and have a seat great to see you. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for those who are viewing online. When you came in this morning, you received a bulletin. Uh, take a look at that. Inside of there are some, some great things that are going on here at Peckway Church, and also there is a gray connection card. I'm going to invite you to take that out, fill it out anytime during this morning's service. Uh, online, there's going to be a connect link that you can click on and simply fill that out as well. Hit submit, it'll come right to us. But this is a great way for us to be able to connect with each other, share prayer requests, ask questions, there's places for decisions so hang on to that card because you'll need it at the end of today's service as well and there will be another opportunity uh, if you send that card in, there's something else we'll send you so you guys online can also uh, ask those questions and also have those decisions because we love praying with you guys. That's one of the great things that we do uh, coming together as a staff to, to pray along with you about the things that God is doing in your hearts and lives. So it is our privilege to be able to do that. You can also, if you're a first time guest, take out your phone this morning and text the word hello to 717-872-5679. You see it there on your screens. Uh, But just a real quick way that we can connect together, get a text message, we'll be able to, to do that. And uh, so that's that's one extra step there from that connection card. But uh, again, thank you so much for being here. This morning, we are going to look into God's Word and see um, how we can be totally surrendered to God, totally all in and committed to Him. Let me ask a question. How many of you have a junk drawer? If you're brave enough, raise your hand. Let me see. Junk drawers all over the place, right? So, but you know, so we have those or maybe clocks. That we have stuff stuffed in, right? Well, you wouldn't want anybody kind of rummaging through that, right? You kind of hide those things. How many places in our hearts do we have those? Those places that we don't want God to to look in those closets or those junk drawers. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to get a little touchy, right? We're going to get in those those places where we're like, "Eh, I don't want God to know about that. But God wants that. He wants us to give those things to him today. So stay tuned because that's what we're going to look at in his word today. As we see how we can give those places, those things that really are Our hurts, right? Those places that we don't want anybody to know about. We don't even want God to know about sometimes, but he wants to know that. So let's start this new year with this clean slate as we do that so that this 2023 will be the best year of our lives. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing and worship together again as we continue singing this morning. Uh, Let's worship him. Pour out our hearts to him because he is worthy of our praise.
3: I've got joy in the struggle I've
2: got peace in the storm I've got strength in the
3: battle I don't fear anymore I'm a child of heaven And my hope is secure I've got joy Cause I've got Jesus Gave me beauty for ashes Turned my life around Broke my chains solid ground for all he's done to save me I will raise my voice I've got Jesus so I've got joy he bore all of my burdens yeah my debt has been paid and then he said to my dry bones Now I dance on solid ground For all he's done to save
2: That's why we worship him this morning. Let's continue as we speak Jesus over this place, over our families, over our lives. Because with him, that's how change happens. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus we're gonna sing it
3: again shout Jesus from the For my family, I speak the word.
2: we just use this next song this morning just to ask Jesus, make this your prayer, that he would just reign above it all today. If you don't know the song, that's okay. Just pray these lyrics as we sing it. If you do, pour out your heart as you sing them this morning. salvo. Jesus. You reign above it all. God, I pray as we come into this time, God, that our hearts, God, have surrendered this morning. Lord, as we've talked about, those secret places, those things that we don't want you to know about, those hearts, those rooms in our heart, God, that we um, sometimes put things in because... We either want to just kind of hang on to those things because we enjoy them or we're just ashamed, um, guilty, whatever it is today. But today, Lord, as we come into your presence, as we hand those things over to you, as we surrender our lives to you, you make something beautiful out of those shameful things, out of those broken things. God, would you just have your will and your way in this place as we come to this moment to hear your word, And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
0: Please be seated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team. And as we settle in, I just want to say good morning and as well a belated Happy New Year. I want to say thank you to Pastor Chris who made it possible for me kind of in the last minute to get away and go see my grandchildren, which many of you understand is one of those wonderful things in life and I truly enjoyed it. Um, But just today I want to talk, and Scott's been really laying out for us, we want to talk at this time about what it looks like to be fully devoted to God. And here's how I really want to say that to you folks. I want to talk to you about what it means to be passionate about God. And the reason why is because I'm absolutely convinced, and I know you are as well, that nothing great is ever accomplished without passion. In fact, it's really passion that makes the impossible possible. Let me give you for instance. For instance, it is passion that motivates scientists to spend long days and even longer nights searching for a cure to disease. It's passion that takes a good student and a good athlete and turns them into great students and great athletes. And as well, folks, it is passion that takes a committed Christian and turns him or her into this fully devoted, fire-breathing, meat-eating follower of Jesus who is committed to doing whatever it takes to fulfill God's purpose and God's plan in the world. Bottom line, what I want to talk to you about today is we need to be passionate about our relationship with Jesus. Yet, here's the challenge. You know it and I know it. The reality is, in our culture today, it seems like it is okay to be passionate about anything and everything but Jesus. I mean, we, in our culture today, it's perfectly acceptable for us to be passionate about things like movies and maybe even movie characters. We're, it's okay for us to be passionate about sports and hobbies. It's okay for us to be passionate about food and fashion. But if we get passionate about Jesus, almost immediately we're labeled fanatics. We're labeled zealots. And I understand that, yet here's what we need to understand, and I know you know this, but Jesus in the great commandment said to you, and he said to me, that we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. In other words, what Jesus was saying in the great commandment, folks, is we need to put some passion into our relationship with him. And so today, this third Sunday in the new year, in 2023, I want to talk to you about how we can do that. And I want to really share with you one step that's absolutely essential for you and I to be fully devoted, committed, passionate followers of Jesus. But having said that, I want to just hit pause long enough to say this. I want to acknowledge something before it happens. And that is, I I, I absolutely believe that when I share with you this step, some of you are going to think, Jerry, that is a relic of the Old Testament, and therefore it's irrelevant to my life. And I say that because what I want to ask you to do in light of that is to suspend judgment. In other words, I just want to ask you to hear me out. Because I really do believe that this step that I'm going to share with you is timeless when it comes to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And so, are you curious what the step is? Some of you are always going to to be taken back by its simplicity. But here's what it is. For you and I to be a fully committed follower of Jesus, we have to tear down the high places in our lives. We have to tear down the high places in our lives. And you're sitting there saying, and rightfully so for some of us, to say, what is a high place? Well, let me explain it to you. A high place in the ancient Near East was a worship site that was dedicated to a god or a goddess that was built on a hilltop or a mountaintop. And the reason that location was selected was because it was believed in the ancient Near East that height represented power. And therefore, it only made sense to the ancient Near East people that if height represented power, then the most powerful beings in the universe had to dwell there. They had to live there. And likewise, it just made sense to these folks that if they were going to build shrines and temples and altars to these most powerful people, that it ought to be where they lived. And so they built these high places on mountaintops and hillsides. Now, that's the cultural context, but let me tell you this. Now, let's come into the Old Testament history. When the Israelites entered the promised land, God very clearly said to them, I want you to remove anything and everything that would lead you into the worship of false gods. I, would, I want you to remove anything and everything in that culture, in that new land, that would anyway pull you away from me. And the Israelites did it, sort of. I mean, in in a kind of convoluted way, because what you see, and we're going to look at it here in just a moment, but what you see over and over again in the Old Testament, in in this time of the judges, in this time of the exodus and the conquest, what we see is over and over again that people of Israel tore down idols, they tore down altars, they tore down shrines, but they always left these high places. In other words, they left these last pockets of opposition to God standing. If you will, if I could change the metaphor, they literally left the last 5% of the spiritual disease present. And because they left that last 5% present by doing so, what they really left was enough of the cancer present in the culture, in their lives, that eventually it reasserted itself again, and, and it did it in a destructive and devastating way. And folks, I want to tell you, if you're not familiar with Old Testament history, that reality happened over and over and over again. And to help you understand it, I'm just going to kind of give you a windshield tour very quickly of the period of the kings. So you see there on your outline, six verses from 1st and 2nd Kings, and I just want to read them to you just one after the other so you get a sense of what was going on in relationship to these high places. Let me just begin reading. 1st Kings chapter 3 verse 3 says this. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. 1 Kings 22-43, And everything King Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father and did not stray for them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. And the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. 2 Kings 14, 3. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. You're getting a sense of a theme. Azariah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there and finally Jotham in 1 2nd Kings 15:35 Jotham did was right in the eyes of the Lord the high places however were not removed the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there here's what i want you to get from those verses folks throughout First and Second Kings, which represents about 350 years of the history of Israel, what we see is time after time, leader after leader, many of them doing many good things, but time after time they failed to remove the high places in the culture, in their lives. And folks, what God wanted us to do because of that theme, God led. the the Apostle Paul to write this in the Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 he said do not give the devil a foothold and I want you to underline that phrase foothold because it literally means a place and so what God is warning you and warning me about through the Apostle Paul is his saying don't give the devil the place in your life to occupy don't give the devil a place in your life to control so that he launches destructive attacks in your life and mind, in our community and in, in the world in general. He's saying don't do it. And yet we need to understand, folks, that's exactly what a high place is in our life. In fact, let me define it for you. It's there in your outline. A high place in your life and mind is a place in your life and mind that is not under the authority, not under the control of God. It's a place in your life and mine where we say something like this I will not give it up. I will not remove it. It's a place, in other words, where we shut God out. And for that reason, that high place truly becomes a foothold where the devil can launch destructive attacks, where he can work in your life and mine, our community. It's a high place. And so the question I'm hoping you're asking by now is why in the world would the Israelites do that? Why in the world wouldn't they tear down the high places? But I want to suggest you an even more important question for us today is why don't we tear down the high places in our lives? Why do we let them remain? And i'm going to suggest to you there are many many reasons and i think you would agree with me but i want to i want to try to take all of those reasons and gather them up under three broad categories because i really do believe most of the reasons by which and for which we we leave the high places standing in our life really fall under one of three categories so let me just walk through them with you this morning the first reason is this and i'll give them to you and then we'll talk about them. the first reason that we don't tear down the high places in our life is because we're not convinced God is all we need. It's because we're not convinced that God is all we need. And and folks, this barrier to tearing down the high places gets at the securities of life. In other words, the issues of provision and protection. In other words, having food to eat and a safe place to sleep. And what really happens at this barrier in our life is the idea that we recognize and we even acknowledge that we need God in our lives. But we're not fully convinced God is all we need in our lives. And so we begin to look for other things to bring fulfillment, other things to bring security, other things to bring protection. And we see this barrier absolutely at work over and over again in the Israelites as they lived through the time of the kings. Every time they added to the worship of God, the worship of Baal, and the worship of Asherah. And let me explain to you who those god and goddess was. The worship of Baal was a worship of the god of weather. Now remember, these people were farmers, they were ranchers, and so the weather was everything to them. It was their source of livelihood, it was a source of sustenance, it was a source of survival. And when they worshipped the Asherah, she was a goddess of fertility. Now again, think of herds and flocks, and as well, the goddess of war. And here's the thing we need to understand. As the, as the Israelites moved into the Promised Land, and rather than expelling and get ready to the high places, they began to add to the worship of God the worship of Baal, and the worship of Asherah. And here's the thing, they didn't see doing that as a rejection of God. They, they didn't see in somehow, some way they were rejecting God. No, what they thought they were doing was simply covering their bases. They were simply coming up with a fallback plan. They were simply trying to say, you know what, in case God doesn't provide for us the rain that we need, In case God doesn't protect us if we're attacked, in case God doesn't provide and makes our our flocks and our herds fertile, we'll just kind of cover our bases. We're just trying to play it safe. And folks, let me explain it to you this way. Let me go to another time and place in history. When When the Romans decided they were going to try to conquer Britain, what happened naturally was the English gathered on the shores ready to fight. And the Roman general recognized the fact, because all of us recognize the fact, that nobody fights more ferociously, with more passion and intensity and endurance, than an individual defending their home. And so after the Roman soldiers were ashore, the general gave an order. And here was the order. He ordered the ships to be burned. Because what he wanted his army to understand was there was no retreat. That either there was going to be victory, or there was going to be death. In other words, he was removing the fallback plant. And because he made that decision, the Roman soldiers fought on when they wanted to quit. They knew they couldn't retreat, and so they fought, and they fought, and finally, they were victorious. Now, folks, here's the reason I share that, because the first barrier that you and I face when it comes to full devotion to God is a barrier of not believing God is all we need. And when we truly give into that barrier, you know what happens, folks? We hold on to old things in our life. We hold on to old professions, old habits, old relationships that truly were something destructive and unhelpful, but after all, we're just covering our bases. In other words, when we truly are not convinced that God is all we need, we refuse to burn our ships. And that's the first barrier to full devotion to God in your life and mine. Let me give you the second barrier. And that is not only, the first is that we're convinced that God is all, we're not convinced God is all we need. The second is we're not convinced that God is all we want. We're simply not convinced that God is all we want. And this barrier gets at the desires of life. This barrier really is about the issues of pleasure and possession and position and power in our lives. And what we do here, folks, in light of this barrier is, is we simply hold back from full devotion to God because we want what we want, and nobody, even God, is going to tell us different. We want what we want, and even God cannot tell us anything different. And so what happens is we begin to see full devotion to God, whether intentionally or unconsciously, we see full devotion to God as something that's limiting rather than something that's liberating. Something that keeps things from us rather than fills us with abundance. And when you and I view it from that way, when we view that barrier from that perspective and then we superimpose that on the people of Israel, it makes sense why many of the Israelites, not all of them, but many of the Israelites found the worship of Baal and Asherah, what is known by scholars as a fertility gods, far more attractive than the worship of Yahweh, the name that God gave himself to Moses. And here's why. Because the worship of Baal and Asherah, the fertility gods, and all the Canaanite gods was highly sensual. It it was highly self-indulgent in terms of appetites and desires. And so things like temple prostitution, drunkenness, feasting were a part of those worship services at those high places. And for many of the Israelites, that was incredibly attractive. But here's what the Israelites forgot, folks. It's what we often forget. The boundaries that God sets in your life and mine, the boundaries He sets specifically to our appetites and desires, do not limit our enjoyment of life. They actually protect it. Because what we need to understand, and we often forget, folks, is the unrestrained, unchecked indulgence of appetites and desires isn't freedom, it's slavery. And if you really, really don't believe that, then I just encourage you, I know how to settle this immediately, then go talk to a recovering addict. Go talk to someone who's truly struggling through an addiction, and they will tell you it is not freedom to indulge those desires, to indulge those appetites. It's absolute bondage and slavery. And yet here's the thing, folks, until we believe that living for God is truly more satisfying and fulfilling than living for personal pleasure, possessions, and success our high places in your life and mine will go unchecked and untouched. Just like the Israelites, we won't tear them down. Well, let me give you the final barrier. The final barrier to your full devotion and my full devotion to God is the influence of other people. The influence of other people. And folks, this barrier gets at the affections of life. The affections of life. And once again, Throughout the book of 1 and 2 Kings, we see this clearly, specifically in the life of King Solomon. I want you to look at just a couple of verses that just bear this out. Let me read you the first one from 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what we read. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters. They were from nations about which the Lord told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And then just telling us, recording what happened as a result of that decision, that lifestyle, here's what we read three verses later. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And folks, what we need to understand, what we need to recognize unconditionally is just like Solomon, our devotion to God can be derailed by the people in our lives we're afraid of losing because that fear forces us into this place where we begin to make concessions we begin to make compromises because we don't want to lose the person we don't want to lose the relationship and so we say something like this just like the Israelites God I'm fully yours but please don't take that relationship Please don't let me and make me let go of that person in my life. And we need to understand, folks, when we pray like that, when we think like that, that person, that relationship is a high place, and we need to let it go. So here's a question I hope you're asking me now. How in the world do we get rid of the high places? How in the world do we become fully devoted followers of God? And at the risk of oversimplifying, I would simply say to you, we need to do what King Josiah did and take a look at what he did. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 24, we read this, Josiah got rid of the mediums and the spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things. In other words, the antidote that we need to recognize to the half-hearted devotion that high places represent in our lives is unconditional and complete trust and obedience in God. That's what we need to do. That's the antidote. And to help you see that, to help us appreciate that, to to know that it's more than just my opinion and something that's just convenient for me to say to you on a Sunday morning, let me take you back to the verses we started with. Because in those six verses, there is a reoccurring theme we need to see. It's a reoccurring theme that gets at the heart of the problem of high places and why we struggle with full devotion. Let me just read it to you again and just listen. Let's begin with 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except, underline that. In everything, King Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father and did not stray for them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, however. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, however. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, however are you beginning to pick up the thing amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the lord however and finally jotham did what was right in the eyes of the lord however the folks let me say this to you in light of that wherever there's a however in your relationship with god that's a high place that's the last five percent that's keeping us from full devotion to god and what we need to understand is 95% devotion to God is always 5% short. And I think I could explain it to you this way. Let me bring it into the contemporary sense, and I think all of us who are married can appreciate this. I think we all could agree that there is a big, in fact, vast difference between failing to be the husband and wife that we know we want to be, that we know God calls us to be, that we know our spouse deserves us to be, and not being fully committed to our spouse. I mean, I think if we're honest, and I'll just be honest with you folks, there are more times than I want to admit when I fall short of the man that I want to be for my wife. The husband that I know she deserves. The husband God calls me to be. But folks, me falling short is a far cry from me dating other women. I mean, if I looked at Lara today, and we're going to go see my mother after services, and on that drive I said, Lara, I deeply and fully love you. However, I want to see other women. Folks, that however would be a high place because that however would undermine everything it means to be fully committed to my wife in that devotion in a marriage. Does that make sense? So can we just chase this as family? Is there anything in your life that God has asked you to do that you know God has asked you to do That you're saying no to, that you're saying, I won't do it. Let's stand on our head. Is there anything God has told you to stop doing that you know God has told you to stop doing, but you've told God, I'm going to keep doing it? It might be something moral, it might be something financial. It might be something relational or perhaps even spiritual. I don't know what it is, and it's not my business to know what it is. But it is my business to ask you, is, does anything come to mind when I say that? If it does, we need to understand, myself included, folks, there are no options. We have to deal with it. Because what we need to understand is that the very heart of full devotion to God is the decision, the conscious choice to allow Jesus to move from simply being resident of our life to being president of our life, to being a part of our life, to truly calling all the shots in our life. And folks, after 40 years of following Jesus, I really don't know a better way to express what that decision looks like and the implications of that decision and something I read decades ago by a man by the name of Robert Boyd Munger in a little booklet, 32, 35 pages long, called My Heart, Christ Home. Some of you have been around here, have heard me refer to it before, but it is, he so compellingly and so clearly communicates this decision that I just want to read it to you. I want to share with you his own story of how he came to that place where he said, you know, I'm gonna let Jesus go from being resident of my life to being present in my life. And let me just read it to you. Just give me your your attention for a couple of minutes. Here's how he begins. He said, I'll never forget the evening I invited Jesus into my heart. He came into the darkness and turned on the light. He built a fire in the fireplace and he banished the chill. And it was wonderful. And if you've ever experienced that, you know it truly is wonderful. He said, in the joy of that newfound relationship, I said, Lord, I want my heart to be yours. I want you to settle down here and be fully at home. So let me show you around the house. The first room we looked at was the study, the room of the mind. Jesus entered it and looked around at the books in the bookcase and magazines on the table. And as I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. I'd never felt bad in this room before. But now that Jesus was there with me, looking at what was in the room, I was embarrassed, mostly because there was a lot of trash there that I had no business filling my mind with. Red-faced, I turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know this room needs cleaned up. Will you help me make it what it ought to be? And Jesus said, absolutely. That's why I'm here. From there, we went to the dining room and then the living room and the family room and the bedroom and even the garage, and in every room, Jesus looked around. And as he did, it became clear exactly what needed to change now that he was living in my house. One day, I came home and Jesus was waiting for me. He said, there's an odor in the house. Something must be dead in here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as Jesus said those words, I knew exactly what he was talking about because there was a small closet at the top of the stairs just a few feet square. And in that closet behind lock and key were personal things, things I didn't want anyone else to know about. And I certainly didn't want Jesus to see them. They were things left over from my old way of life, not wicked, but not right or good either. Yet I wanted them for myself. I really didn't even want to admit they were there, but what was I to do? Jesus said, I smell it. All I knew to do was walk up the stairs with Jesus. And as we walked up the stairs, the odor became stronger. At the top of the stairs, Jesus pointed to the door and said, it's in there, something dead. And then I got angry with Jesus. After all, I had given him access to the study, the dining room, the living room, the family room, the workshop, and even the bedroom, and now he's asking about a little two-by-four closet in my life? That was too much. I wasn't going to give him the key. Well, reading my thoughts, Jesus said, if you think I'm going to stay here with that smell, you're mistaken. And he started down the stairs. Seeing Jesus begin to go crush me. And so I said, Jesus, I'll give you the key. But you have to clean out the closet. I don't have the strength to do it. And Jesus said, I know you don't. So just give me the key and permission to handle it, and I will. So I gave him the key, and Jesus opened the closet and took out all the stuff and threw it away. Then he cleaned it painted it, and fixed it all up. Immediately, with the dead thing gone, I felt freedom and joy in my life like I had never experienced before. And that's when it hit me. Until I was willing to give over the closet, the high place in my life, Jesus couldn't take up full residence in my life. Because 95% devotion in my life is still 5% short. Folks, I don't know about you, but that is one of the most compelling, powerful, indicting things I've ever read in my life. And here's what I want to say to you in light of it. We think our high places are our security. We think our high places are our pleasure. They're people and the places in our lives that we can't lose. But the reality is they're the exact opposite. They are the very things that are keeping us from the joy and the freedom and the depth of relationship that we long for with jesus and so on this first message back on this third sunday of the new year folks here's my challenge to you as it's been to me let's tear down the high places let's tear down the high places in our lives because the reality is 95 percent devotion to god is always five percent short let's bow our heads for prayer With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you an honest question, just for you and the Lord. And the question is this. How is your passion for Jesus right now? Is it red hot? You say, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt closer to God than you do right now? If so, and hear my heart in this, why? Because the promise we have as followers of Jesus is through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life, we could be as close to God as we choose to be. And so what I want to say to you this morning, what I'm saying to myself is don't let a two-by-four closet Keep you from living the life that God wants you to live. And so I just want to invite you to pray. Would you pray something like this? Put it in your own words. but you say, Jesus, I recognize, like Robert Boyd Munger, that I can fool others, I can fool myself, but I can't fool you. You know the habits. You know the hopes. You know the hurts, you know the hang-ups, you know the people, possessions, and places that I'm holding on in my life today that are keeping me from full devotion to you. And so today, I'm giving you the key to the closet. And I'm asking you to clean it out. Would you say to Him, Jesus, more than anything else, I want every square inch of my life to be your home. I don't want you to only be all that I need. I want you to be all that I want. And so, in faith, I'm asking you to give me the courage and the self control to stop making compromises and concessions to keep people and places and practices and, and possessions in my life. Would you just say, Jesus, no matter how painful or costly or frightening? Would you help me tear down the high places in my life today? Now, Pastor Scott is going to sing a song for us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed that I feel powerfully expresses what we've been talking about this morning. And as Scott sings that song and you listen to the lyrics, I want to encourage each of us to honestly and prayerfully Just like Robert Boyd Munger explained for us, just take a journey through the rooms of your life and take that walk with Jesus through the rooms of your life. And as you do, I want to encourage you to pray like David prayed. Would you pray this prayer from Psalm 139? Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there is any, any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. Scott's going to sing the song, and when he's done, I'm simply going to come back and I'll close this out in prayer.
3: This is my worship, this is my offering, in every moment, I withhold nothing, I'm learning to trust you, even when I can't see it. and even in suffering, I have to believe it. If you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. And if you say release, I'm letting go. And if you're in it with me, I'll begin. And when you say to jump, I'm diving in. And if you say be still, then I will wait. And if you say to trust, I will obey. I don't want to follow my own way I'm done chasing feelings Spirit lead me I felt like a burden but once I could grasp it You took me further, further than I was asking. And simply to see you, it's worth it all. My life is an altar. Let your fire fall. If you say it's wrong, then I'll say no if you say release i'm letting go and if you're in it with me i'll begin and when you say to jump i'm diving in and if you say be still then i will wait if you say to trust i will obey teach me how to follow in your way i'm done chasing feelings here is-
0: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those this morning have let go of the last 5%. On their behalf and on the behalf of your kingdom and your church, I thank you for the new level of joy and peace and depth of relationship you are going to bring into their lives because of the decision today. Thank you for those who are choosing to be fully devoted to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Thank you, Jerry. And thank you all for being here this morning and for um, being a part of this service, worshiping today. And uh, If you made one of the decisions that we talked about on the back of the card, please feel free to check that. Um, that won't be shared with anyone uh, that's not confidential so that, uh, so that we can keep your privacy. But we appreciate... Um, you guys trusting us to pray with you or when you make those decisions. You can do that online as well. There's going to be a link there in the chat window that you can click on uh, if you want to share that decision that you made today with us. I pray that as we leave this place, that God continues stirring our hearts as we become fully devoted to Him, as we practice His presence this week. I uh, look forward to seeing you guys again next week as we worship together, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank
3: you.